So today I have a special guest. Uh, I actually learned about this guy uh, around five years ago. I was uh, in Austria doing a Euro trip and I um, met a personal trainer at a gym and he was like, you got to take a look at this guy. He's doing a, a handstand push-up with one arm and then clapping behind his head, like just doing crazy stuff. So he showed me this video of this guy named Sai Monster. So uh, today I have the honor of uh, interviewing him um, so we can all enjoy and learn a lot from uh, you know, his ex expertise and uh, superhuman strength. So uh, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I guess, uh, no, the first question I'd love to know is, you know, in 2015, you posted that crazy video and well, do you know which one I'm talking about? You were doing like- Yeah, the, yeah. Okay, you do know. Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, was there a specific reason that you, you um, made this video or? Yeah, so for those, for those who don't know, you can find it on my YouTube channel. It's just called Simon's to Strength. Um, that was just a fun little project I did with a friend, um, Dave, who I've breakdanced with for years. Um, he likes doing videography. He was getting into videography a bit. Um, everyone was talking about this guy named Ido, Port Ido Portal and all the crazy stuff he does. And um, Dave and I said, yeah, we should make a video um, just showing some skills and some strength stuff and some breaking. Um, and we did. And that that was the product. Gotcha. Yeah, we, we didn't expect it to go as far as it did. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I guess it's, you know, hard to com compare him and uh, what you do because it is slightly different because he's more into movement. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think he could quite do like the, the stuff that you were doing in that video. I mean, I've, I've, yeah. actually never, I've never seen him do a, a full planche to begin with. I and mean, you were doing like this, uh, you know, full planche with like this, you were like walking, right? Yeah, yeah. Beginning. Yeah, so, yeah, so um, yeah, we're, we're definitely very, very different in our disciplines, but um. We had a few friends who were quite into him. There was a lot of hype around him at, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I still look up to him. He has a lot of uh, good things to, to offer for sure. Yeah, and um, yeah, friend Dave just said, "Yeah, let's just let's why don't we just make a video showing the the type of stuff we do?" So, yeah, that's, that's what we did. Gotcha. So, so uh, would you consider yourself more of a break dancer or more of a calisthenics bodyweight athlete or or something else? I, I, yeah, it's kind of hard to define exactly one discipline because um, I do a little bit of um, a few things from a few disciplines. So there's a bit of breaking, a bit of tricking, a bit of calisthenics. Um, I would say 10 years or so ago, I would consider myself mostly a breaker. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've kind of moved more into calisthenics rather than rather than just breaking. So now I'd probably say the majority of what I do is calisthenics, but um, I always like to throw in a little bit of breaking, a little bit of tricking, um, just to keep things interesting. Okay. Uh, is there a specific reason why you, you've been leaning more towards the uh, calisthenics? Yeah, just as just as I age. So just as joints hurt, you know, I think um, breaking is definitely a young man's sport. Um, the, the older I get, the harder it is to do things like, you know, hop as high as I can on one hand or um, do things like hollow backs where you're putting a lot of stress through your shoulders. Um, calisthenics is just a much, a much safer, um, more controlled, slower art form. So yeah, I much prefer that in my training these days. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, there's also like less injuries as well. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, so, so how, so you started with breakdance, is that correct? Yeah. So I started when I was about 10 or 11, my, um, my parents got me into gymnastics. I did that for about a year. Um, never really excelled with it. Um, and then uh, a friend from my elementary school was taking breakdancing classes. And he said, you should come check this out. If you like, if you like gymnastics, you should try breakdancing. I was like, what's that? 
it's like you know people spinning on their heads and all that sort of stuff so I went along with him to a break dancing class um and then I switched over and just just continue with breaking from there um but from gymnastics there was always a, a body weight strength component so if you've ever done a gymnastics class often they do some some technique and each class has a strength and conditioning component where they'll do things like hollow body holds rope climbs chin-ups all those sort of calisthenics exercises and I saw the value of that um, when I was trying to learn power moves in breaking and I thought damn if I was just a little bit stronger I could do you know I could do this move or if I you know if I could just planch a little bit better I could get from flare to a handstand um so that's why I continued with this sort of body weight gymnastics calisthenics strength training gotcha uh did you ever uh compete in uh break dancing uh yeah I did yeah I did quite a bit when I was when I was younger just uh local competitions around Australia okay yeah I actually used to do dance as well uh I mean I still do it sometimes oh, cool. uh, not, not break dance but I did uh popping and locking Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, but, you know, they, are, they are actually considered uh, kind of in the same uh, street dance. So if you, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you ever watched like the UK B-Boy Championships or uh, Just, Just Taboo and uh, yeah. Bears. But uh, yeah, yeah we, tra- we train with, uh, with quite a lot of guys. Um, there's a guy named Leonard Trey from Australia who I'm quite good friends with who is very into popping and locking. So yeah, quite familiar with that scene. Okay. Yeah, I suck uh, at it though. Breakdance, <laughs> is breakdance big in Australia? Not really. I think, um, yeah, you'll find a few a few places it's quite big. Um, I think it's a lot bigger in places like Korea. New York's got a pretty good, uh, pretty good community there. But uh, Australia's pretty small. It's still a pretty, pretty rare um, art form. I see. Um, so maybe we, let's talk about uh, your training style. Like, um, what's your what kind of training do you uh, incorporate? You know, like uh, your training split. And uh, yeah, what kind of training protocol do you uh, usually uh, abide by? Yeah, so I usually train about three, four, four days a week with um with upper body strength training, and then I'll throw in some leg sessions once or twice a week. Um, when it comes to upper body training, it's usually predominantly calisthenics. So I'm not I'm not exclusively calisthenics. I'm not like oh, I never do weights, but probably ninety percent of my training is um, body weight training. I'll throw in some things like weighted dips, weighted chin-ups. I find those really useful. Um, It's just a really, really good way to track numbers and um, progressively overload objectively. Um, And then within each session, I usually do a a push-pull split. So I'll do one day pushing, one day pulling, legs, one day pushing, one day pulling, legs. Each session, I'll probably choose four to five exercises and do each of those for about three or four uh, sets. So a typical training session might look like um, for the planche or for a pushing session. I might start with um, planche negatives, maybe do five to 10 singles, um, then some isometric planche holds, four to five sets of 15 to 20 seconds, some pseudo planche push ups, four sets of 10, um, and then finish with some supplementary exercises like, um, you know, weighted dips. Um, or overhead press with a barbell, bench press with a barbell, that sort of thing. So you primarily train at gyms or do you also kind of train at parks or outdoors? Because I know in Australia, the weather is a, a lot better than uh, you know North America and Europe. So I think you can yeah. almost get away yeah. with training out, outdoors all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, you can, depending on where you live. Um, I usually just train at home. So usually just in my living room or, yeah. 
Okay, so, so you have uh, like a, a power rack or um, some weights with you so you can be doing the, uh, the non-body weight exercises? Yeah, so I've got, I've got a rack at home, but, um, but if I don't, you know, before that I'd go to the gym once or twice a week and get, get those weight sessions done. Um, if not, you can get a really solid workout at home. So you might just replace something like replace my overhead press with some handstand push-ups or some weighted handstand push-ups. Um, you can replace incline press with some decline push-ups, um, especially if you've got a weight vest handy. Gotcha. Yeah. So I've had to um, had to improvise a little bit um, with the lockdowns, but yeah, um, you can still yeah you can still get a really solid solid workout in. Having the the luxury of weights is is really nice. It can add a little bit of variety, keep your training a little bit more fun. But it's um it's definitely not something that's essential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would totally agree with that as well. I guess it is nice for some of the isolation exercises. So I, I, I personally really don't like training biceps, like isolation, just with calisthenics, like even the yeah. curls, I yeah. just, I'm kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. A, lo a lot of people compare weights and calisthenics, like, you know, calisthenics is better or weights is better, but really it comes down to, to your goals. If I was a bodybuilder and I was just focused on, you know, developing certain proportions and targeting specific muscles, I would definitely do weights. It's a much easier form of training. Um, but I just prefer calisthenics. You can still get a, a really good workout with calisthenics. You still can build a lot of muscle with calisthenics, but it's definitely harder to do certain things like um, target specific muscles. It also involves a little bit more thought um, because you're limited to your body weight. It's not like you can um, you know, increase your body weight to progressively overload. In, overloading with weights is really simply just throwing more weights on a bar. With things like calisthenics, it can be a little bit more um, a little bit harder to know how to to overload. So things like adjusting your leverage in a planche, using more open positions to to increase the challenge. Yeah, I mean, weighted calisthenics is kind of like the the in between. I would say. So you yeah, weight, weighted calisthenics is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it's a pretty high floor to get to though. Um, you know, before you're doing weighted calisthenics, you need to be pretty good with dips and pretty good with chin ups already, um, which which a lot of people can't do. So for a beginner, it's um it might be a little bit more discouraging. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, yeah, to be able to do working sets of 12, you probably should already be able to do close to 20 pull-ups, for example. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because I find pull-ups one of those things that's very fatiguing. Like, if you really get to, like, close to your 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 maximum, your next set is just completely done. Do you, do yeah, you know it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a lot like squats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like bench press, for example, you can get close to your... To your uh, your max and then next set you can you know you're not that affected yeah 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 i, de I definitely agree with that but i think it's just in general like all the, the like bench press i find way easier than than doing dips or even yeah I, there's a lot more yeah. like, know, nervous system involved where you have to really uh yeah i think it's more of a full body exercise right whereas like a bench press it's a lot easier that's, that's yeah I, I i find dips and um dips and bench press pretty comparable Okay. Um, with regards to fatigue, but yeah, pull-ups and weighted pull-ups, they destroy me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just curious, like, what kind of numbers do you hit when you do uh, like weighted dips? Because I mean, your, your, your pushing strength is pretty, especially like overhead pressing is crazy. Um, so, so I really wonder what, how it translates to just the dips. Yeah, so I never really do, I never really test um, a 1RM with things like weighted dips. It would be really cool um, to know. I just find the the risk of injury outweighs the benefit. Um, 
you know, there's no there's no reason for me to do a 1RM. I don't compete in any weighted calisthenics comps. Um, I use use dips as a supplementary exercise to help things with um, help things like planche, overhead um, pressing strength for handstand push-ups, 90 degree push-ups, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, when it comes to a, a set and rep range, I don't really stick to a um, to a set set and rep range. Um, I'll sort of change them um, depending on what my goal is at the time um, by using a periodized approach or what I what I much prefer doing because it gives you a nice year round um, strength program is just doing a combination of high rep and low rep stuff. So doing some low rep stuff to target high intensity strength specific um, outcomes. So I might do you know triples or sets of five, um, and then I'll do some lower rep stuff just to get some more volume in simulate a little bit more of a hypertrophic response so a, a session you know a typical dip session there's a many ways to do this um, and i sort of change between them but uh, right now what i might do is i might have a, a strength day on say a monday where i'll do um you know i'll do five sets of triples or five sets of five and then on a, a friday i might do four sets of of 12 to 15 just to um just to stimulate a little bit more hypertrophy, train in a higher rep range, make it a little bit easier on the joints. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think high reps are super underrated. Even more than twenty could be beneficial uh, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I think I think a lot of people fall into this um, this traditional hypertrophy range where they say, you know, if you want to build muscle, you got to be doing between eight and twelve. Um, yeah. But more research has emerged in the last decade that shows if you're doing between about five and 30 reps and you're equating sets to failure, you'll get a similar, you'll get similar muscle gains with any of those rep ranges. So if you know you're doing five sets of five to failure, or you're doing five sets of 25 to failure, you'll get a very similar um, hypertrophic response. So I think that, um, that you can use that lower rep stuff really intelligently to help your strength because the more muscle mass you have, um, the more strength potential you have. So you can do your high rep stuff. So you've got that specific, uh, sorry, the low rep stuff, high intensity stuff. So you've got that specific strength training. Um, you know, you, you keep the motor patterns crisp. You're used to doing a really high intensity. And then you can do that lower rep stuff to, to help build muscle. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the traps that I fell into is when I first um, got into weighted calisthenics, um, I started seeing really good results, even, you know, just doing the very low rep stuff. And I thought that was the yeah. secret, but eventually... I think that was just my nervous system that was really adapting really, qu really quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just stopped doing bodyweight pull-ups for like a very long time. And I think that was a really big mistake because eventually I plateaued. Um, Cause yeah. I was stuff like below 10 reps. Yeah. Yeah. So now I try to have even a day where I'll just do like just bodyweight uh, only day, you know, like 10 sets of 15 or like 10 sets of 10, some of that like high volume. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of people experience that, especially, um, especially more intermediate and advanced lifters. Um, you know, if, you if you've ever done a highly specific low rep or really high intensity training block and you've never done that before, you'll make really significant gains. So, you know, if you start doing triples on your pull-up, you'll, you'll make really significant gains over a course of, you know, four to eight weeks. You'd be like, wow, I, I've never done this type of training before. I, I should just do this all the time. Um, and the problem is, you yeah, you will always reach a plateau because there's two things you can influence with your training when it comes to strength. Um, there's a lot of things which determine how strong you are, how strong you are, such as where you know where a tendon will insert in a bone will influence how much torque um, muscle contraction will produce. You can't change any of those things through training. 
but through training, you can change um, how much muscle mass you have and your neuromuscular efficiency or how well you are at recruiting those muscle fibers. So if you just train really low rep, high intensity stuff, you get really good neural adaptations, but you'll probably hit a plateau when you reach a ceiling there and you don't have any more muscle mass. You know, your muscle mass isn't increasing. Um, so I think it, with advanced athletes, or if you've ever done a really high intensity block, doing a hypertrophy block after that can be really useful just to put on a bit more muscle mass, improve your strength potential. If you have more muscle mass there and the same um, neuromuscular efficiency, you'll produce more force. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think also another mistake, I mean, like that I've had was, you know, you follow a lot of influencers and they'll do very advanced moves and you think, oh, that's how you get better. That's how you train. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, they yeah. probably don't usually do those moves to get better. Like, it's De de definitely. You, yeah, you, you always see these clips on um, on Instagram of people going like, triple clap push up, then a backflip, then a spin, then a one hand push up. And, and people think, wow, that's a hardcore way to train. And I just think, no, that's a really cool way to show off. But what works isn't, you know, there's much more optimal ways to build strength. Yeah, it's, it's usually the boring stuff that gets you strong until you can do the cool stuff. Yeah, that's it. The problem is that isn't that isn't sexy when it comes to um when it comes to posting your yeah posting your, post your five by fives yeah. <laughs> five by fives on on dips. No one cares. And and for for your rest days, so you you said you train around four times a week. Do you do anything at all on your rest days? Yeah, so so I don't really have um I'm not too strict with my training um. You know, I'm, I allow quite a bit of flexibility in there. Um, I usually, I'll do, you know, some incidental exercise on my rest days. I might, you know, go for a walk or hike, something like that. I might do a few handstands. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't really have a a, a set um, thing that I will or won't do on my rest days. I just try to avoid high intensity exercises of the, the muscle groups that I'm trying to rest. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm, I think you're you're like a you know overhead press specialist. I don't know if, if you would say that, but that's one of your things you really excel at. And yeah. uh, I think one of the cool things about like shoulders is like they recover quite fast, in my opinion. So you can almost train it like every day, you know. Whereas like it's yeah, like instead of like squats, for example, like I, I would hate doing squats the day after I, I just had a, a day of squats. Yeah, yeah, I I feel exactly the same. Um, but I think that's just something that um, something you can become accustomed to. Um, because you have some powerlifters who do a daily one RM block um, or train squats daily with a one RM, and I can't think of anything more um, <laughs> more intimidating than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so it's just used to it as well. If you do train it often, then it stops getting sore as often. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, that that would be something that you know, if if um, a beginner who hadn't done this style of training ran into before, tried doing overhead pressing every day, um, they'd probably run into an injury or trying to do. Oh, trying to do squats every day um but if you just gradually build to that kind of frequency you can you can definitely um sustain that for a while gotcha uh, do you have any sort of like warm-up uh routines yeah um my warm-up's usually pretty quick i don't often do much stretching i've got a youtube video about how i tend to warm up and break down the science of that a little bit um okay. but i usually just do some active range of warm-up um, so I'll just take the joints that I'm using through a through their full range of motion. Then I'll do some um, neuromuscular kind of warm up. So before handstands, I might do some wrist push ups. Before planche, I might just do some some standard push ups just to get a little bit of blood flowing to the area. 
um, and then do some easy sets building up to the intensity. So, you know, before, before bench press, I might do some light sets or before planche, I might do some planche leans. Do, do you still get any uh, wrist injuries or like wrist pain from, from doing a lot of handstands or do you, does my, your body just get super used to it after years and years of uh, doing them? Yeah, my wrists are pretty good. They're fairly resilient. Um, but every now and then I, I do get some wrist pain. Um, I think having a back, background in breakdancing really helps that because you really condition your wrists quite well to hopping on your hands all the time. Gotcha. Because, you know, I, I just recently, like, learned how to do the handstand and, and like, handstand push-ups. I'm, I'm still not a pro at any means, but, like, it, it definitely hurt a lot on my wrists, um, you know, for the first few months. Um, yeah. But it could also just be because I was putting up more force because I wasn't good at balancing. So I figured maybe once you're really good at balancing, um, there's also, like, less, yeah, get less wrist issues. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to generate as much force um, with subtle, more refined corrections. Another thing that can really help is if you – um. What a, if you find you have poor wrist mobility or your wrists don't bend back that far and you feel they're jamming, um, you can use a, a decline block or decline a board so that your, your wrist angle is less. So as opposed to being at 90 degrees like that, you'll be doing your hand balancing here. Yeah. So Yeah, quite a few high-level hand balancers that spend a lot of time on their hands use that just to take the stress off the wrists. Yeah, they have. I've seen like the yoga wedges as well. Have you ever used yeah. the 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 blocks handstand blocks yeah i've used handstand blocks um i definitely prefer the floor just because that's what i'm what i'm used to and that's generally where i do most of my my training and performing um another thing that's that's useful is um parallettes yeah yeah just keep your wrists in a nice neutral position and you also get a you know bigger range of motion i guess for handstand push-ups that'd be very useful yeah definitely uh what about uh cardio do you uh do any cardio zero <laughs> just incidental cardio so you know things like hiking walking but yeah. um I, I never do planned cardio and in terms yeah. of walking do, do you uh do you make sure to get a certain amount of steps per day or not at all okay yeah <laughs> but how is uh so you left australia to, to, to and you moved to nevada right is that correct yeah, so I'm I'm just here visiting. So I used to work in um in Las Vegas. Um, now I'm just here for a for a few months visiting my girlfriend, and then I'll head back back to Australia. But yeah, I'm based out of Melbourne. What's the uh, what's the uh, going on in Australia? I heard it's like closed. Yeah, so Melbourne had a a really strict lockdown for a little over three months. So things like um curfews, like an eight pm curfew, five kilometer restriction from um from your home. Um, only a few reasons you could leave your home. Um, and they had about 700 cases, new cases a day in Melbourne, and that, that that's down to zero now since that lockdown. So now they've opened back up. They've had I think nine or ten days of um zero new cases. So yeah, they're gradually easing restrictions and things are heading back to normal. Gotcha. So so you you are allowed to go back and, and just quarantine for two weeks. As yeah, I have to quarantine. Yeah, I have to quarantine. You have to go to hotel quarantine. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's the case anywhere. Did you have to quarantine when you arrived to the U.S.? Not nothing. They're just like welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it could, if you come from Australia, we're super safe to to uh, the U.S. where there's like a hundred thousand cases. Like it would be stupid uh, to make you quarantine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I'm gonna have to quarantine on the way back, and I'm I think at at the moment you have to self fund that, so that that's not gonna be too fun. Stuck in a room, they make you pay for it. Yeah. Well, when you have, when uh, when. When you could be doing that at home. <laughs>
Oh, so so they don't even let you go home. If, why is that? No, they, I think they take you from the plane straight to this um to a hotel with security, just to make sure everyone's abiding by the rules and no one's you know sneaking out and transmitting a virus. <laughs> it's like yeah, a prison. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a hotel prison. Jeez. Yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's, I want to just make sure I go through all the questions. Um, so we, we have, yeah. I asked you about your wrist, just I was curious, but now let's maybe talk about this. Uh, you know, you've been training since 10, so it's like almost 20 years. Have you had uh, any serious injuries or just, just any injuries yeah. in, in general that you, you uh, want to mention? And Plenty, um, you name it, <laughs> probably had it. So, um, so I think the most um, significant injuries I've, had have come from I, I did a few years of um of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and got quite injured with that so I had um a posterior shoulder dislocation and then a, a subsequent reconstruction or a labral repair on my left shoulder um I've had uh, meniscal tears in both knees that I've had debrided um those are my had a dislocated thumb those have all been jiu-jitsu injuries um one thing uh one significant injury I had not even not even praying um i was trying to to jump one day and i slipped and i ruptured my adductor longus or my groin tore it off the bone um just yeah and then not even a back yeah so no so what so i've i've um i was performing um in a different state and i've had a little bit of a sore groin from head spins um i think i had a bit of a, a tendinopathy there so just this kind of little annoying injury just very mild pain with head spins. And then I was trying to jump over a drain and it was slightly wet and my foot slipped and I ruptured my groin. Yeah, I ruptured that tendon. It, it wasn't a competition or anything. This is just No, this was going to the airport trying to trying to get over this drain. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, jumped and ruptured that. But yeah, you can name it. I've had ganglions in my wrists, um, all sorts of, you know, tendinopathies or, or tendonitis. Um, so BJJ is, is something you uh, don't do anymore. No, I love it. It's just uh, it's just too um, too risky when you know most of what I do depends on my body. Yeah, that, I mean that's totally understandable. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so you, so you said you do leg training. Uh, it seems like you train around once or twice a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's ideal. Um, uh, yeah, I had quite a while with no access to a gym because they closed gyms in Melbourne. I didn't have a rack at home during that time. Um, that's why I got one. So yeah, I I had a long time without doing any any form of um, weighted leg training. But my preference is definitely to to go to the gym and just do weighted um, leg workouts. I think it's really easy to get a if you know what you're doing. It's really easy to get a solid upper body workout with just your body weight. There's yeah. plenty of ways to um to you know manipulate your body weight to make it challenging i find with legs it's much harder to do because you're doing you're essentially doing you've grown up doing leg body weight workouts your whole life you know so you walk upstairs you stand up from a chair you're doing a body weight exercise while you do that so i find um there's a few challenging things like nordic curls but um quite strong people can do you know 20 30 pistol squats and that can be um a pretty miserable way to train doing sets of 30 pistol squats so I'd much prefer to get under a under a bar and do you know sets of ten, twelve, eight. 
Gotcha. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the total, total uh, in agreement with you. I, I just don't like doing pistol squats in general. I find them really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. I get like cramps on my quads to, to keep your leg like up. Yeah. And you yeah. got to worry about the balance. And then you got to yeah, do if, all the steps for each leg. Exactly. And if your goal is something like, you know, jumping really high um, and you're trying to maximize your, your max strength um, and your explosivity, it's really hard to train max strength with pistol squats. You know, you need to have quite a lot of weight on you. The balance component's quite challenging. I think a much better approach would be to get under a, a squat bar, you know, get under a barbell with some chains or with some bands and, and do some really um, high intensity work there. Yeah, definitely for the, the main part. I think, you know, there, there's definitely some benefits to doing a little bit of unilateral exercises. Like even if you don't like them, just to keep the balance. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But even in that case, I'd much prefer to do lunges under a bar than do, you know, bodyweight pistol squats to failure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, what, what about your, your diet? Do you have uh, any sort of uh, eating schedule or, yeah, just eating practices? Yeah, so I, I don't have a strict diet at all. I don't follow a diet. Um, but just some general principles I, I tend to stick by is just try to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables try to consume adequate protein. So um, I'm quite active. I usually try to um, try to go for about a, a gram, a pound of body weight or two grams per kilo of body weight um, and just limit things like alcohol, refined sugars, saturated fats. Um, but yeah, other than that, there's no real, um, no real strict um, diet that I follow or any religious practices I have when it comes to eating. Do you take a like, protein powder on the, on the, like, just to make sure that you hit those uh, protein requirements? I'll, I'll very occasionally go and get a protein shake from, you know, a service station or something, but I don't regularly take um take a gotcha. protein supplement. Yeah. I, I think I consume quite a lot of protein in my normal diet. You know, I eat quite a lot of lean meat, things like milk, yogurt, um, nuts. So I'm usually okay with uh, getting adequate protein intake. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. Do you take any supplements? So, yeah, I take... I take I take um, creatine. That's the only one that I, I take vitamin D. Um, yeah, especially in Melbourne during the winter, but that's, that's it. Okay, very simple. Uh, you, so you find a big difference when you take creatine? Um, I, no, I definitely don't find a big difference. Um, there's a lot of evidence that creatine, creatine is kind of the gold standard supplement. So when it comes to um, evidence in, um, in the sports science community, that's the supplement that has a, a lot of um, a, a lot of studies showing its benefit with things like um, you know strength endurance and, and power output. Um, that effect is quite mild though. Yeah, I find when I when I, I I find when I take it, I can probably get a you know a couple more reps in or lift a little bit more weight. But I find when it comes to body weight training, um, you, you sort of end up being the same because you might be storing a little bit more water, you weigh a little bit more. Things get a bit harder, so I find um you know you strengthen your weight kind of kind of scale at a, a similar level. I see. So so you do notice your weight goes up when you are are on creatine. Yeah, not um not a great deal. So you know it might go up one or two kilos, but when it comes to things like you know planche, handstand push ups, front levers, you you feel that. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Uh, for me, I, for one arm chin ups, for example, I definitely. Like when I'm, you know, almost 80 versus when I'm 72 kilos, it's like night and day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Do you uh, take, about, take creatine? 
Uh, me? No, so I actually didn't really notice. Like, you know, I have, I have friends that take it and they gain like 10 pounds, like within a month. Like I didn't get any, any sort of uh, weight change. And also there's like studies that show that it, it increases your DHT levels, which leads to hair loss. And I'm already like, uh, you know, prone to hair loss. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, okay. I'll back <laughs> off on it. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. I, I did try it for a little bit. I didn't really feel that much of a difference. So, yeah, I, I think people people often talk about it like, um, you know, this is going to make, you know, this is going to change your life, but you know, it's the effect is extremely mild. Um, it's a it's a significant effect, um, or at least that's what the literature shows. But it's it's a mild effect. It's not like it's going to double your strength or it's going to make a night and day difference. Yeah, it's just yeah. something that might is, improve uh, your. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it might improve your performance. Oh, I was just going to say it might improve your performance over a long, um, long term. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to be quite proven to be effective. Uh, you know, out of like, there's a lot of obviously, like all the legal stuff is definitely going to work. But like, out of all the legal ones, like this is the only one that's like really seems to be proven to be effective. It, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it, it's already uh, existent in meat, and it seems like it's also uh, good for your brain. I heard it's uh, it's a nootropic, so. Yeah, so yeah. Benefits of uh, taking creatine, but I, I just don't take it at the moment. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Uh, let's see. Uh, what about uh, pre-workouts, or maybe just coffee or something? Is there coffee? Anything? Yeah, co- co- yeah, coffee all the time. Um, okay, so you're, yeah. you're a bit of an I'm addict. A, yeah, I'm from I'm from Melbourne. We love love our coffee. Okay, um, well, I'm the same. I drink a, a lot of coffee. Yeah, but that's that's my pre-workout. I don't take any other pre-workout. I'll just have, you know, if I need a little bit of an extra um, kick to, to get a training session done, I'll just have another coffee. Yeah, same with me. Uh, let's see. Um, do you think there's something that's underrated? So whether it be like a fitness product, uh, you know, a training, like a, like a training protocol, accessory exercise um, that has greatly helped you uh, in getting stronger? Um, I think one thing that isn't practiced a lot is um, just, especially with calisthenics, is just attempts of the skill that you're going for. So, um, you know, if you're trying to unlock the planche or you're trying to unlock the one-arm chin-up or you're trying to unlock the front lever, um, just doing attempts of that skill can go a really a really long way. So this would kind of be the equivalent of, um, if you're training with weights, doing a, an occasional one RM, you know, like a weekly one RM. Um, or, you know, twice a week, you might try your 1RM for a particular movement. I find that that really goes a long way with um, with calisthenics. Okay, so, you, so you're saying like if you're trying to get the straddle planche, instead of just doing tuck planches, you should just go for the straddle planche, like once a week. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, um, so just to go back to the topic of um, talking about like periodization, um, if you're, I find if you're competing, if, you, if, if you've got a certain, you know, you're a powerlifter, you've got a meet coming up, I find you know, your traditional periodization can be really effective. So that what that is, um, people listening, if they're wondering what we're talking about with periodization, it's manipulating variables um, for a particular outcome at a particular time. So for example, you might do a block, a, a hypertrophy block, where you're doing sort of higher volume, um, lower intensity training. You might be doing sets of, you know, eight to 12 for a block of six to eight weeks to build as much muscle mass as you can. And then you might do a, a strength block where you're just doing triples and you're you're doing occasional one RMs and you're training at a really high intensity that's specific for the outcome of this um, powerlifting meet. So that's a really good way to peak at a particular time point. 
I find with calisthenics, especially if you're not competing, you're just doing this because you enjoy calisthenics. It's the style of training you like, but you still want to be as strong as you can. Um, that you don't have to do a periodized approach. So I don't do, you know, I don't do block periodization um, where I'll do hypertrophy blocks and strength blocks usually. I find a really good year way, year round training program that you can do is doing a, you know, hypertrophy focused training. So you might be doing, you know, sets of lever raises in in the, you know, five to 10 kind of range. But then once or twice a week when you're, so that's really good to build muscle, but that doesn't, that doesn't optimize your neural adaptations for the, the outcome you want of a really high intensity planche lever or one arm chin up. So I find if you do a year round hypertrophy block and then once or twice a week, you throw in a few attempts um, or a few one RMs, that goes a really long way to, that's a really good way to stay really strong year round as opposed to peaking and troughing and peaking and troughing with regards to your strength performance. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, like, so just doing a lot of the, the stuff that actually will increase your muscle, but once in a while doing like even like a heavy negative um, exactly yeah so so yeah so once or twice a week let, let's say you want the one arm chin up you might do most of your training you might do two to three chin up sessions a week um most of your training's focused around you know you're doing archer pull-ups you're doing assisted one arm chin ups with a band or a pulley um you're doing weighted chin ups you might be doing all of that in the the five repetition you know sets of fives to ten um then if you know once or twice a week you just throw in some one arm negatives or you throw in just some one arm attempts that's a really good way to speed progress towards that goal especially if you're close to it yeah yeah like i was fortunate enough to get the uh it took me like five years to get the handstand because i was never consistent with it but for uh yeah one arm chin up it only took me like two to three months but it's because i had a good base with pull-ups already but it yeah i just yeah. try to do negatives um once or twice a week and that that's pretty that's pretty much all it took so that's awesome yeah. so make sure you with, with the, and you do the neck, uh, you're saying just do the heavy attempts and then that's in, that's in addition in addition to the negatives were you training um were you training your traditional sets of you know standard pull-ups and things like that or you were just doing negatives once or twice a week no no i was definitely still doing weighted weighted pull-ups yeah cool yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you just did, you know, because you can't, you can only do so many attempts before you, you basically you're going to fall. So. Exactly, yeah, and um, yeah, I think that really goes to show if you've got if you've got a really strong foundation, you have enough muscle mass, um, and a good foundation, um, on which to to build towards that one arm chin up. It might just take some attempts. So you probably had, you know, the the strength or very close to the strength there to do a one arm pull up. It's just that motor pattern that's a little bit um a little bit foreign. Um, you just need to refine that, improve that neuromuscular efficiency, and you 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 can get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially for the the bar, I, I find the one arm pull up a little bit kind of awkward because you really have to turn your body in a certain way. Whereas on on the rings, it's a uh, it's a lot more fluid. So yeah, that's a that's a really good tip for people who get um who get elbow pain. So yeah, I don't know, I don't yeah I don't know if you encountered um like golfer's elbow or a some elbow pain on the inside of the elbow training one arm chin-ups uh i don't think so i think i was lucky i didn't have that issue lucky yeah i, I find a lot of people when they're training for the one arm chin-up get a lot of pain in their um medial elbow so they get kind of what's what's called golfer's elbow um and i think rings are a really good way um to help target that 
rings are great if you have any sort of elbow pain with pulling because rather than being locked into a certain position at the top or bottom of a of a chin up the rings can swivel to where you're strongest and where you're most comfortable because if you ever if you find um when you break down chin ups chin ups are quite a nice position for your wrist at the top of the movement but at the bottom of the movement it's kind of awkward hanging with a reverse grip or a supinated grip and yeah. pull ups are the opposite yeah and pull ups are the opposite pull ups are, are pretty comfortable at the bottom of the movement but when you get to the top it can put the wrists in an awkward position especially with closer grips so rings are just a great option because they'll, they'll just swivel to where your wrist is comfortable the whole time. Yeah, because I, like, I also just, when I was learning the one-arm chin-up, I, I only focus on the rings first. And I, the reason for me was because uh, you already, your joints are already in so much stress because it's a lot of, it's more weight than you've ever carried, right? Like your whole body yeah. on one arm. So you're already, you're already having so much stress. So at least remove the rotational stress uh, by using yeah. the Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, this is this one's interesting. So you know, it seems like you know, as someone who's already at the top of their game, uh, is there anyone that you look up to? You know, whether it be a fitness person or uh, someone who's not in fit, the fitness industry. Um, just yeah, who's your motivation? Yeah, so so there's a lot of guys in the fitness industry um, making really good um, content and teaching really well. So guys like Daniel Vadnor, Fitness FAQs. Um, I really look up to him. He's he's great. I love his style of teaching. Um, the guys at Cali Move are great. Um, there's, there's a bunch of people who make good content online. Um, now mostly what I'm doing is, is teaching and making more tutorials. So those are the guys I look up to when it comes to, to performance. Um, I get a little bit of motivation from all sorts of different disciplines. So, you know, I really like, um, I really like watching, um, watching MMA. So you might get some, you know, there's just a Khabib fight going on. Um, watching that stuff's a pretty good pre-workout. Um, just guys who excel in there in their field people who excel in their field gotcha yeah that makes sense yeah i i saw the fight it was uh it was intense i mean 29 and 0 it's like yeah it's crazy yeah, it's unbelievable and he seems very humble like uh yeah like the fighters that are uh yeah 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 uh, i like that i like that too uh yeah so in terms of do you have any uh current like strength goals is there a certain move that you're trying to uh to get yeah, I'm tr trying to improve my um, my front lever. So I I want, really want to just improve my front lever holds and um you know front lever pull ups. Work towards full front lever pull ups. Um, but like I said, there's not really a um, performance goal that I'm um you know, I'm not focused. That there are performance goals that I want, um, but I'm not focused on performing um, so much these days. It's more teaching. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like you, everyone that you were looking up to, you're talking more about their uh, the, their ability to teach rather than the, the, their strength. Yeah. Although they're all really strong as well. I mean, I know Daniel can uh, can do some really incredible stuff, and he's you know six feet tall. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you're you're one seventy five, right? Is that correct? No, I'm I'm one seventy nine, so I'm about five ten, five eleven. Okay. Yeah, I was actually talking to Yad, and we were trying to to uh, guess what your weight was. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm about like just under eighty kilos. Okay, so you're like seventy nine kilos. Yeah, probably roughly. I I don't weigh myself very often, um, okay. but yeah, I'm usually around like seventy seven, seventy nine. Okay, so the, I forgot what the numbers were. We were trying to make a bet on like what your weight was, and if it was like over seventy eight, uh, like he was going to buy me dinner, and if it was under seventy eight, like I was going to buy him dinner or something. 
Oh, I'm sweet. Yeah, I think, answer, but, uh, I think, I think, yeah, <laughs> well, I said 79, so you can, um, okay, then we're going to go with 79. I'm going to have yeah, to yeah. look at the video and see, uh, who was, who was right, but all right, let's, I'm glad we got that answer. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to, if I, next time I find, um, a scale, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. You can settle the bet. But it seems like you're 79. Uh, see, do you, do you have a, like, one of your best moments or memories from uh, your training career? I think the most memorable moment, moments are just training with friends. Um, so, you know, from like my days, um, I used to train at this place called Nike in Melbourne. I really enjoyed that. Training outside with some calisthenics guys um, in Vegas was really fun. You know, you train, have a barbecue. Those are my best moments. There aren't really, um, there aren't really any like outstanding, um, outstanding, moments um where something crazy has happened it's just been you know good times with friends okay i think like for like for me example uh like one of the memorable moments was my first one arm chin-up yeah like you know your first movie so you, none, none of those are like that big for you it's more just like the training with your friends yeah i can't really remember um like a first you know the first time i got a particular move um i remember my first one arm chin-up that was fun um but yeah I, yeah those aren't really the things that stand out to me i have no idea when i did maybe it's just because it was so long ago you know i've been training a long time i um or maybe that just means i haven't progressed enough recently <laughs> forgotten at all well, it's also normal that the longer you train the the slower your progress is going to be right so yeah because yeah because I, I i learned the uh, one arm chin up basically within the first year of training but that okay my sometimes i still can't do it if i don't if i don't do it for a while like if, I, if I'm not specializing in one arm chin up, sometimes I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, that's that's totally normal. Yeah. yeah, and then I have to do some negatives again, and then within a week, I'll probably, or within a week or two, like I'll get it back. But like, yeah, just re refreshing that motor pattern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see if I have any more questions. Uh, yeah. So, so the last question I have is, uh, is there something that you know now that you wish you could tell your younger self that just started training? Yeah, I think, um, I think just focusing on a few skills at a time. I think that's the most common mistake from beginners. That's definitely something I fell into was trying to focus on so many skills at once. Um, especially when I was training across a few disciplines. So, you know, I was training flips and power moves and calisthenics and I'm like, Oh damn! I'd really like a one-arm chin-up, you know, really good head spins, air flares both ways, flips, a planche, a lever, and a human flag. And if you're trying to pursue all of those skills at once, the progress is just so slow in each of those individual skills. Um, I think a much smarter way to train is just to pick a couple of things to address at a time, focus on those for a block. Um, once you've made some improvement or you plateau or your goals change, you just want, um, want a new, new goal to keep you motivated. That's when you switch it up. So I think that's, um, that's definitely something I would have changed. Perfect. So, so right now, uh, so taking your the own advice that you just said now, like your main focus is the uh, front lever pull-ups. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. 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 That would be the, the main thing I'm training, um, with regards to pull sessions. Gotcha. Yeah. I hope you get it soon. Uh, th that's a really hard move. I, I see some people it's that do it super easy, like, but I don't know, like it's, 
I don't know yeah. how to do it. It's like it's my yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I find it really hard. Um, uh, I, I generally find pulling strength much harder. Um, you know, my background has been breaking. It's always been pushing. So I've, I feel a lot more comfortable with that sort of movement. Um, but yeah, the front lever pull up is is something that's crazy because you're you're trying to contract in um in such a short position. Yeah, so I I find front lever pull ups really impressive. But what's what's even more impressive is the guys who hold a touch front lever or hold a front lever at the top. That's that's crazy. Yeah, that shows that you know, not only do, yeah not only do you have the strength to to pull there, but you've got the strength to hold that position in such a such a short muscle um muscle length it's it's just such a such a flex <laughs> yeah I, I think th there's one correlation that i've seemed to notice is that everyone that seems to have mastered the front lever pull-up seems to have like those um those dip bars the portal you know the, you know what i'm talking about like the, oh the, yeah yeah know, that's kind of they just have them at their house so i think they're just getting a lot of like high frequency because it's yeah, just training it yeah yeah so maybe if you buy yourself uh, those those dip bars, you, you would progress and just by the low, the really low dip bars, right? The, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, the, yeah. The, like hip height, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I right. Just having the door pull up bar is not enough to uh, to get it up here. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point. I've I I don't think ever, or you know, I've seen a bunch of people do touch front levers or front lever pull ups. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do them on a pull-up bar, like a wall-mounted pull-up bar. I always see it on the low, low parallettes or like a standard, you know, really um, stable pull-up bar. Yeah, or maybe another thing is it, it, they usually do it with a like a false grip. false grip. Yeah, yeah. thicker. Yeah, yeah. False grip will just um, reduce the range of motion that you have to pull. Yeah, but yeah. If you ever see if you ever see anyone do a front lever pull-up with a standard grip, that's especially crazy. Yeah, but I think the first step is definitely get, to get it with a false grip because I think there are definitely. people who can definitely do it with regular grip, but I'm sure they first got it with a false grip. Got for sure, yeah. And went for the regular grip. Definitely. Yeah. yeah How I about just, you? Yeah, I can do like eight. Like I saw him in real life. Just it, He was just like floating and doing pull-ups, you know, for lever pull-ups. Yeah, it's it's insane. Have you got any any goals at the moment you're working on? Uh. Yes, I really wanted to get the 90 degree push up, but actually I hurt my shoulder. I had got this thing called uh, shoulder bursitis. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've had it before, but I think it's just from doing too much overhead, like, you know, ha handstand push up practice. And uh, yeah. I had to take like two months off, which sucks, but. That sucks. You'll get it back. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully I can get, yeah, the 90 degree push up. Do you have any uh, recommendations to, to get it? Yeah. So right now I'm doing the bent arm planche. I just want to make sure I can hold that for like five seconds at least and then i thought you just kind of try to combine them two. yeah bit, so yeah bit, bent arm planche is really so 90 degree push-up is kind of a hybrid between a handstand push-up and a planche push-up so you're lowering from a handstand to a bent arm planche back up to a handstand um and you can just think of it as a much more efficient way of doing a full planche raise um because because you're bending your arms so it's just an easier version of a, a or it gives you more freedom um, than a full planche press. Um, so things that I find really useful, improving your planche strength, improving your handstand push-up strength will go a really long way. And then to specifically target um, the 90 degree push-up, exercises like negatives are really useful um, and band-assisted 90 degree push-ups, if you've ever done that. So you know how you train a planche with a band? So have you yeah, seen people do band-assisted yeah. planche? So, so you put a band under your hip bones and you can do a straddle planche. 
with that, you can also do a straddle 90 degree push up. So the straddle will keep the band um, in place. It'll stop it from moving around. And then you can just do handstand with the band straddled, lower down, back up. And you can train essentially assisted 90 degree push ups. Okay, assisted straddle 90 degree push ups. Correct, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so because I, I mean, it looks super cool. I mean, you, you, you post it all the time on your Instagram. And, I, mean, I mean, yours is extra cool because it's, it's like so, so clean. Thanks. Yeah. Hopefully, I can yes. at least get a sloppy one first and then eventually try to clean it up to get it to. Uh, yeah, that's it. That, that's it. That's generally the approach I take. Like, don't worry about your form. Just unlock the skill and then refine it. As long as you're not doing anything that's dangerous, um, a bit of suboptimal technique is fine. Yeah. One, one yeah, thing I've noticed with your handstand push-ups is, is uh, like, you know, obviously there's a triangle between your head and your, your hands and your, your yeah. hand goes quite far, even when you're just doing regular handstand push-ups. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I'm, I'm assuming that's harder than the, the version where you don't go as far, right? Yeah, it's it it's just different. So you can do um, I would say it is slightly harder. So you can do handstand push-ups with an elbows in technique, where you're moving in the plane of pure flexion extension, and that will lead to your head translating pretty far in front of your hands. Um, alternatively, you can do handstand push-ups directly out to the side, um, where you'll just stay completely vertical the whole time, like a, an overhead press with the elbows um, flared out. Um, or you can do anything in between. I find training with the elbows in is really useful for calisthenics because it's transferable to other skills like the 90 degree push-up, the planche push-up. So if the goal is just to do as many handstand push-ups as you can, I'd probably flare my elbows out a little bit. Um, but when it comes to training with other skills in mind, um, elbows in is, is the way to go. So that's why I translate my head pretty far forward. Uh, so, so, so you recommend people uh, to always aim for the one that you, you do or, or do you recommend yeah, it, start with the it, easier it, variation because I'm, I'm pretty confident that the, I, the wider version is easier than the one yeah that you do. it yeah i think most people will have more strength um with the wider version if you said do as many handstand push-ups as you can i'd probably do something in between the two um it's not that black and white like you have to have your elbows all the way in or you have to have them all the way out there's a continuum that you can use there my recommendation is if you've got the if you've got the goals in mind of planche push-ups, 90 degree push-ups, in addition to your handstand push-up, use an elbows in technique or as close to that as you can. So some people just find this really uncomfortable with their shoulders. If you just use a 45 degree angle, it will benefit your planche push-up and your 90 degree push-up a lot more than just doing a strictly elbows out handstand push-up. Okay, perfect. And I, I maybe we can do uh, one more question to you know help the listeners. Yep, we're talking pretty advanced stuff right now. We're talking about you know ninety degree push up, handstand push up. But let's like for people that haven't gotten the handstand yet, do you have any uh, recommendations for for uh, you know helping them get the handstands or even you know just helping them being able to hold it longer? Because even my handstands, to be honest, I can't hold it super consistently or super long. Yeah. So I find. Unlocking the handstand um, using a wall is super beneficial. So using a wall is great to help um, help build confidence because you're not gonna you know fall over. You can do you know back to wall handstand and refine your kick up. You can do chest to wall handstand and refine your alignment. Um, or you can even do an angled handstand into the wall just to get comfortable on your hands, build a bit of strength, build a bit of confidence. So wall handstands would probably be the the best thing I can recommend for beginners. Um, that you can use exercises there to help your alignment or to help your balance. I find if you're consistently falling a particular way, 
So let's say you're consistently falling over to your back. Um, using a wall is, is really useful. Um, so you could do a back to wall handstand against the wall and just use your fingertips to push off the wall. So lift off the wall and fall back into it, lift off the wall and fall back into it. That way you can really refine your um, balance mechanisms from falling over towards your back. Um, in addition to that, once you're comfortable with balancing a handstand for a few seconds, using the wall is beneficial to help refine it. Um, having a partner spot you is useful to make your handstand training a little bit more efficient, spending more time on your hands each, each set as opposed to falling down and having to kick back up. Um, but I think the most important thing is just time on your hands and consistency. The more times you, the more time you spend upside down, the more you're, you know, practicing that skill, the better you'll get at it. And do you find the handstand to be kind of like riding a bicycle? Like once you, um, once you master it, you kind of never forget it. Or do you, do you also find it more like a strength skill where you kind of have to maintain it um, once in a while to, to make sure you don't lose it? I, I think the two-hand handstand is is probably like riding a bicycle. Like it's, um, you know, I, I'm not ever worried about losing that skill. Um, when it comes to things a little bit more advanced, like one-arm handstands, um, I think you probably need to be a little bit more consistent to, to maintain that level. Um, but then again, if I got on a bike right now, I'd probably be pretty sloppy to start with. Um, and then I'd have to refine my technique a little bit. So it's, I, I would say it is, it is pretty similar. That'd be funny that uh, if, if you were just like a master at handstands, but you couldn't ride a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure but if you, uh, I, I think, harder than a bicycle. yeah, I think, um, learning a two hand handstand is, um, is not such a commitment. I think most people can achieve a, a two hand, or like a solid straight handstand. Um, and then you can use that for other skills like handstand pushups. I, I tend to use my handstand as a um, foundation to build a foundation for calisthenics. So, you know, 90 degree pushups, handstand pushups, planche to handstand, that sort of thing. Um, but when you start moving into like single hand handstands, that commitment is, you know, it's such a big commitment to unlock that. If you look at hand balances, they train, you know, three hours a day of handstands, six to seven days a week. It's, it's crazy. Um, so it's a really frustrating move if you want to go far with it. Gotcha. Yeah. I think uh, Yad was saying the same thing. He said, uh, or maybe it was Mike, uh, Mike Smart. Uh, yeah. yeah. They're saying the same thing. One hand, one handed handstand is just like completely different level of two handed. But uh, yeah, yeah for, most, for most of us normies, like even the two hand handstand is actually quite a commitment. Like I, for me, I found it way harder than uh, like a one arm chin up or something. I, I could really have to. Like I, I was lucky enough that, you know, I had a lot of time with the lockdown to really just attempt it like 30 times a day or something. Uh, yeah. But it took me like, you know, I, I still haven't mastered it. Like, or I, I'm still not consistent at all. Basically, you know, yeah. the stuff that I post, like, I think you found my best uh, through the, the, through the video I made of the handstand pushup. Yeah. Think, yeah. 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 Like, you know, that, that wasn't like, it's not like a hundred percent of my attempts are like that. Like I, I, I fall like a bunch of times and that was the one that I didn't fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty normal learning the handstand. It's quite unique because all these other skills in calisthenics are strength dominant. Um, so, you know, one arm pull up is, is largely about how strong you are. Handstand is just really little motor movements. It's, it's more of a skill than a, a strength, um, strength movement. It's just about refining your balance and making subtle early corrections um, to maintain your weight over your hands. So yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit unique.
And yeah, I'm actually quite good at riding a bicycle. Like, you know, I, I can ride it with no hands and uh, I can even turn without, without touching the, the, uh, the handles. But yeah, I, I just found the handstand to be really hard. And I, I maybe just yeah. depends on people. Like, you, you know, you know, Zef, um, the founder of Barbarians, like he, he also like said he, like, he hopes to learn the handstand one day. So I think that it's just well, one of those things, like some people find it somewhat easy and I think yeah. people find it really hard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I think with with consistent practice, you can make a lot of improvement, um, especially towards the two hand handstand. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the consistency is is like super important because that's the benefit of the handstand. You can train it, uh, you know, so every many, day. Yeah. Chin up, like you can only train it once or twice a week before you get injured, in my opinion. It, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a much less strength dominant move the handstand. So there's a lot less fatigue. There's a lot less um of a recovery demand. So you can do it literally every day. But when it comes to things like, yeah, one arm chin ups, planche, that's, um, you, you know, you'll be too sore to have a hard training session every day. Yeah, it's also, it's great for rest days because I, I don't know, I'm someone who's doesn't like rest days. Um, you know, I always want to train. And uh, now, now that I can kind of do handstands, like it's given me something to do on the rest days. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for uh, coming on. And, uh, you know, I, I think the listeners and me included, we definitely learned a lot. And uh, yeah, where where can people reach you if they want to learn more from you? Yeah. So my website is simonsterstrength.com. Um, my YouTube channel is the same and um, Instagram handle is the same. So I've got some free tutorials on YouTube. I've got some training programs on my website and um, I post stuff on Instagram all the time. Perfect. All right. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on and uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch and maybe we'll do another one in the future. Yeah, sounds good.